Welcome back to the FFP. Today, I'm going to be breaking down our top 12 tiered tight end rankings heading into the 2021 fantasy season. These rankings will be PPR, so be aware of that. Although, of course, you know, receptions aren't the only thing that counts. Did get a comment from somebody about that the other day. Uh, no, that's not the only thing that we're considering. There are so many things that we're going to evaluate. So let's just get right into it and remember that 12 guys in a single video is a lot to talk about. So if this video drags on and I don't mention as much about a guy as maybe you'd like me to or as I'd like to, leave a comment and I would love to talk more football with you. And hey, click the link down in our description. Go check out our TikTok where I will be answering any Q&A that you guys ask on our TikTok. So hey, again, make sure to do that going to be having lots of fun and making tons of daily posts there as well as our Instagram and our Facebook. But let's just get right into it. All right, so naturally and not at all surprisingly, we got to go Travis Kelsey as our number one fantasy tight end. The, to be quite honest, this is pretty boring, boring to talk about because you guys expected this and you know this, but hey, maybe you're new to fantasy. I'll give you a very brief rundown, but I'm not going to dig into the numbers because quite honestly, he is a clear head and shoulders number one fantasy tight end. Uh, For starters, since 2016, so five years in a row, he has finished either number one or number two in fantasy scoring. And last year, he finished inside the top 12 in weekly finishes 93% of the time, and he finished top three in 60% of games. So he's extremely effective. More than half the time, you're getting an elite start, and 90-plus percent of the time, you're getting a guy who's still worth the start. He basically just had one game. That was it. He had one of his 15 games last year where he was not worth the start. Uh, And in that game, he saw just three targets, but he caught all three of them for 31 yards. He just didn't find the end zone. And ultimately, it's funny. Here's how good he is and how good that offense is. The reason he didn't do well is the offense was too effective. They played the Denver Broncos, and they won 43-16. to But there's even more to that. The Broncos scored seven points with five minutes left. The Chiefs even played Chad Henney at quarterback for a good portion of the game. It was a blowout. They didn't give many snaps to Travis Kelsey. And to be quite honest, he barely played in that game. It's almost like he didn't. I mean, again, statistically, he was out there when he got targeted. He made the most of it, but they just didn't need him. And so naturally, you've got the best tight end in the league. You're not going to play him that much. You're going to keep him healthy, just like they did with Pat Mahomes by not playing him. So yeah. Just like every other year for the last half a decade, Travis Kelsey is at number one, and he is a first-round ADP guy. And that's just not just ADP. That's rankings, guys. If I'm in the first round and those first couple of uh, elite running backs go, I'm going to take Kelsey and then maybe a wide receiver or two and then come back to some backs. But he is a first-round pick for certain. I know that's really been the discussion this offseason is how early should you draft him. For me, he's really sneaking up there in sort of that, you know, eight, seven range overall. But uh, let's get to our number two tight end. All right, here at number two, we've got Darren Waller. And really, there was only two guys that could have gone here. It was either Darren Waller or George Kittle. Due to some injury concerns for Kittle, we just kind of opted to go with Waller. And Waller really deserves to be here. The volume alone, this is a PPR stud here. And again, know your scoring. We've said that over and over in a lot of our recent videos. It makes a big difference. In a standard league, you know, you might be able to change that around, though Kittle's not a big touchdown guy either. But um, look at the stretch down the season. From weeks 13 to 17, he was insane. 13 catches for 200 yards and two TDs. Seven catches for 75. Nine for 150 and a touchdown. 
five for 112 yards, nine catches for 117 in a touchdown. I mean, he was absolutely insane down the stretch. I mean, honestly, those last five games, he was even competing with Kelsey, which is really crazy. Uh, The production was there. And, And part of that for me that is exciting is that the Raiders offense seemed to figure some things out and really improve. And and then as they were improving, leaned on him for that volume because they still don't really have much of a wide receiving core there. But again, it wasn't just last year. Since 2019, Kelsey has 269 targets while Waller has 255. They're head and shoulders uh, above everyone else for targets. The next guy, the third place guy is a distant Zach Ertz with 196. Um, and one of the reasons he's able to get so many targets is how versatile he is. He does not have great blocking grades, but he's a phenomenal tight end and a great wide receiver. In fact, he spent 35% of his snaps lied out, lined up in the slot or as a wide receiver, excuse me, giving him a huge huge ability. If he can play the wide receiver like that, then clearly he's a lot faster than linebackers can cover, but he's a tight end and he's evidently much bigger than cornerbacks can handle. He is a mismatch and a nightmare, and you really have to have a solid safety like, say, Harrison Smith to cover this guy. You need someone who's physical, who can hit. You also need a guy who's fast and can catch and make plays. He is a just nightmare to match up against. Um, Again, when we look at it, he just dominates and he is way up the charts on basically every statistical category. So there are 46 tight ends with at least 50 targets since 2019. And he finishes as an elite performer, some of the best in the league in basically all of the statistical categories that I looked at. His PFF receiving grade, he was number three. His 197 receptions is number two. His receiving yards over 2,000, by the way, number two. His 12 TDs is tied for number four. His first down receptions is two. His contested catches, number one in contested catches, by the way. That's a stat that I love. His missed tackles that he forced, number four. He tied for 11th in yards per reception. Tied for number four in yards per route ran, and he tied for number nine in drop rate. He dropped just 3.4% of his passes. The fact of the matter is, in every single category, he has dominated. And unlike Kelsey, you know, he's done it with not a great quarterback situation. So got to love this guy going forward for me. He is our clear number two, just because some minor concerns with George Kittle. So, hey, while we're at it, guys, let's start talking about George Kittle now, our number three tight end. Kittle finished 18th in fantasy tight end scoring last season, but it's important to remember he did it in just eight games. He really struggled with some injuries last year. Go back to August, he had a thigh hamstring strain, that's grade two. And then on September 13th, he had the knee MCL sprain grade two. And then on November 1st, he had a pedal foot fracture um, in his foot really struggled with injuries last year. And one of the things I want to break down for you guys is he struggled with injuries, you know, kind of really throughout his whole career. And that's something you're just going to have to expect from him. But he could very well be a Keenan Allen or a Dalvin Cook type who struggles with injuries for a few years and then kind of gets it under wraps, I guess. I don't know what the the right phrase would be, but goes through a phase and then gets past or whatever it may be. I don't necessarily think there's going to be a mark of his career. In fact, we look at those injuries and it doesn't to me look like he had three injuries when I see that looks like he had one injury that he tried to play through and it kind of just his season fell apart and kept getting worse. You know how it is when one thing goes down, the rest of your body can fall apart pretty quick if you don't give it the time that it needs to heal. And he doesn't have a history of reoccurring. It's not like he's had multiple MCL tears or anything like that. So, uh, but really ultimately what matters is 
what we've got when he's on the field because there's not a whole lot of talent at the tight end position, right? This isn't like wide receiver or quarterback. So, you know, you're going to take him for the upside. He is so talented, you have to take the upside. And the upside is huge. PFF gave him the ninth best overall rating amongst any player at any position in the NFL. Only one guy was higher than him at the tight end position. That was Kelsey. I mean, seriously, top 10 in the NFL. That's where a lot of people rate him by his production on the field. And though he was limited to just 443 snaps last year, look at the year before his 94.4 overall grade from PFF was the highest grade that they have ever given a tight end. And since he's come into the NFL, he's produced fantasy numbers. I mean, he's produced tight end one type numbers in 58 and a half percent of his game, which ranks third among all tight ends since 2000. That's ahead of guys like Tony Gonzalez and Jimmy Graham and plenty of other elite stud tight ends that you would think of. Um, Again, go back to 2019. He was third in fantasy scoring, did it in just 14 games. Over the past three seasons, he sits second behind only Kelsey in both PPR and standard league points per game formats. When he's on the field, you're getting Gronk-like, Kelsey-like numbers, and so he's absolutely worth it. Guys, I get that if you're nervous about the injury, you want to avoid drafting him, but I'll be honest, this is really the, the last of the tier one tight ends, the last of the elite guys, and so I think he's worth it. I do. At his ADP, I'd have to say he's probably worth it, depending on what kind of running backs or what you got in the first round. Yeah, take a look at it. It might make you a little bit nervous, but you got to take a bit of a risk to get this type of upside. And should he be healthy, it could very well pay off. So um, there's that, of course, and able to play through even maybe some bad quarterback play. Very curious to see how this entire 49ers team is going to look now that they're going to be bouncing back from all those injuries and all that mayhem that they had. They could very well be even better this year. As I was telling somebody uh, on our TikTok and they were asking about Trey Sermon. I think that the 49ers are pretty dangerous this year, and what's the most dangerous weapon that they have is Kittle, just a monstrous stud. He almost plays too physical. That's probably why he gets hurt, but it's also the the same reason he just dominates when he's on the field. But let's jump into our Tier 2 tight ends and get into our tight end number 4. Again, here at number four, we've got Mark Andrews. And I get it. Last year, he burned people a little bit. They weren't very happy with his production. They were uh, kind of probably expecting more what we saw from him in 2019. But he still finished in the top six among tight ends and fantasy scoring. So I wouldn't necessarily call that a bust, Maybe, you know, just a bit of a minor drop off. And considering there are some very talented guys ahead of him, I don't think anyone expected him to finish ahead of them. I mean, really... I'm not surprised why people were so, or I am surprised to see why people were just so disappointed in him. Again, didn't quite do what we thought he might do, but, you know, the Ravens had a a bit of offensive struggle there, and they did seem to work things out at the end of the season, and they did seem to really improve that team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So in the long term, I'm not so worried about it. Um, But the production has been there, and there's not a whole lot of talent at the tight end position, so it's hard not to like this guy at number four. He was a tight end one in eight of his 14 games, which was the third highest percentage among tight ends. That's 57% of the time. In those weeks, he was a top five tight end six times with four finishes inside of the top three. If it weren't for the two games he missed due to the NFL's health and safety protocols, he probably would have been the number three fantasy scoring tight end last season. I think the biggest reason that people are nervous about him is not his true total production last year. It was that he had some big games followed by some bad games. You might even say he's a bit 
touchdown dependent. Um, but again, ultimately what scares people is the weeks where he finished 21st, 23rd, 30th, 31st, and 36th in tight end scoring. Yeah, he's prone to some bad games. But a lot of those bad games were in just a couple of those weeks where the Ravens were trying to figure things out. They were struggling with some stuff and ultimately uh, kind of had to fix some offensive issues that they had. I imagine some of those weeks are going to disappear. But let's be honest, I don't care who you are, barring the best of the best, the elite, and the top notch, bad weeks are going to happen. I'm sorry they make you nervous or whatever, but there's really nothing you can do about that. Hopefully you can just, I guess, hope and expect to be able to predict it. Ultimately, the upside is there. He is a touchdown machine, and he doesn't get quite as much volume as these other tight ends, but he is very efficient in his fantasy points per touch. So again, here at number four, Mark Andrews, but let's get to our number five. Uh, and here we've got TJ Hawkinson, who may be a bit of a surprise to you guys. And he is a surprise to me when we first started doing our research and ordering our rankings. Really didn't think we were going to rank him this highly, uh, especially considering the loss of Matthew Stafford. And now he's playing with uh, Jared Goff, who, you know, it's got to be a bit of a, a downgrade there at QB. But he really surprised me. I don't remember him being as effective as he was last year, but statistically he was great. He caught 67 of his 101 targets for 723 yards and six TDs. And amazingly, that 700 receiving yards was third among tight ends. So it was a distant finish because Kelsey had 1,400 and Darren Waller had just shy of 1,200 receiving yards. So not very close, but still third, which is really surprising. And again, he was only one of five tight ends to finish with at least 100 targets. So again, volumes there. I love that. The question is, you know, what's this season going to look like for him? Will he continue that volume with a new quarterback? Dare I say he's going to maybe even get more volume, which seems like a bit of a stretch, but hear me out. Matthew Stafford was not big on his tight ends. He never had a dominant tight end. And for TJ Hawkinson, who is a very early pick at the tight end position, they want him to succeed, and he's shown that he can succeed. They just need a quarterback who targets them. And, of course, we saw Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby. They saw tons and tons of targets from Jared Goff. So they could very well likely be turning to the tight end position in this offense more this year than they did last year. In fact, probably will when you look at all the wide receiver days, wide receivers that they've lost. All the receivers that they lost actually this offseason combined for 334 targets and 60% target share in that offense. Like the only guy catching the ball that's still there is TJ Hawkinson. That's going to make a big difference. Um, so imagine this. Let's make a really modest assumption here. Let's make a pretty modest argument. I'm gonna let's assume that he's gonna be getting eight plus targets in almost all of his games this year. That's really not a whole lot for a guy who's the best weapon in the offense, but but let's go with that. Um, in the past, he has had seven games with eight plus targets from 2019 to 2020, and in those games, here's what it looked like: just shy of 10 targets for six catches, 67 yards, a half a touchdown, and a total of 15.27. PPR points per game over a whole season that's a thousand yards eight TDs on 96 receptions that is an absolute PPR stud you may not like this guy's offense that he's in or his quarterback but the volume will be there in a standard league however he does drop a few spots so as always know your scoring here at number six, we've got tight end Mike Gesicki for the Dolphins. And I understand that a lot of you guys were disappointed in him last season. Uh, I don't know why. I, for one, was not hyping him up very much, if at all, heading into the year. And so it was funny to see how many people were disappointed in him. He kind of did what I expected him to do in a lot of ways. But I get it. 
Ultimately, I think really the true reason that people were so disappointed in him was one, they got a little bit overhyped, but it was the inconsistency for sure. I think that's what it was. He had some big games. I believe it was weeks 13 and 14 where he suddenly looked like the next Gronkowski or, you know, the next Tony Gonzalez. He had these just monster games and, you know, that kind of gets your expectations up. But the rest of the season, he didn't quite have those games and he was wildly inconsistent. Ultimately, I'd like to think that that comes down to a few issues. One, they did not have the receiving core that they wanted to have, and so defenses were kind of focusing on him. He really was their number one weapon. Uh, Two, you've got a very immature quarterback in Tua who just did not know how to work that offense, and seeing him coming out there from Alabama, not very well used to throwing to his tight end. Remember that that's something he had to get used to and is a skill. A lot of quarterbacks lean which way towards more receivers or running backs, or they kind of have their preferences and then as they get into the offense more they slowly spread the ball out more uh coming from Alabama he didn't have to do that he had dominant insanely talented wide receivers that they always produce every year so you know coming into year two Tua should be a little more mature a little more advanced and I'm expecting and hoping he's going to lead on his tight end a little bit more this is a risky ranking however guys if you want to avoid the risk this is not the pick to take here so I get it I get it. It's funny. We put him here because this is where we really feel like he is going to finish the season in fantasy scoring. But yeah, am I drafting him here? Maybe. Depends. If I feel like I've got a risky running back and wide receiver situation, then I'm probably not going to take a risky tight end as well. But if I'm looking at my team going, man, I like my team, but I think I need a little more spark. I think I need to take a shot. Then yeah, I might take a shot here. For me, it feels like, and this is a weird example, uh, if you've ever played like any champion-based or hero-based video games, they kind of give you that rating of difficulty. And that's what it is, where it's like, he can be good for you or he can be bad for you. You're going to have to know when to start him and when not to. And you're going to have to watch the season based on how that Miami Dolphins offense is looking. But there's huge upside here. It's just a question of whether or not he will achieve that potential. For me, he makes me nervous, but I do think he really do think he lands in this spot. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on it. I'm not going to stick around this too long. Let's get to our next player. All right, so here at number seven, we've got Rob Gronkowski. He had a really slow start to last season. The first four weeks of the year were just not very good. But let's remember that the entire offense struggled. You had a new quarterback and a tight end in Gronk who was coming out of retirement and had never played in this offense in a crazy offseason where they could barely practice. And so, yeah, they struggled. But from week five onward, Gronk scored seven TDs, ultimately finished eighth in both PPR and standard league scoring formats. I don't think he has huge upside because he is 32 years old with a career of injury injury history or whatever you want to call it. And of course, all the other weapons there from Cameron Brait, who's a good second tight end, to Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans, and and even Tyler Johnson, who makes a good wide receiver for. That is a just deadly situation to be in. Going down the stretch in the playoffs, they really begin to figure out their running game, and that defense really is phenomenal. They've figured some things out on the defensive side of the ball, so you have to wonder where the production's going to be. That being said, he's got great chemistry with Tom Brady throughout their career. I mean, there's no arguing that, and he did finish with 623 yards. Again, we just talked about Hawkinson's 700 and whatever was was third amongst tight ends. He's really not that close. If he can kind of increase his his value and his stats for those extra four games, he could move move up a spot or two. I could very well see him finishing, you know, fifth above guys like Gasicki, who we just talked about. I just don't think the ceiling is there for him to be a thousand yard tight end again. Um, 
but again, did get uh, kind of hot down the stretch, scored a couple touchdowns in the Super Bowl, and it's hard not to be excited about him. I just wouldn't be too excited about him. There is limited value here, but I honestly think it's a pretty safe floor as well. So this is a guy who's pretty polar opposite to Mike Gesicki in my mind, that if I felt like I had some risky running backs and I just needed some secure value at the tight end position, I probably probably lock in a pick here and take Ronk, you know, at his current ADP. And I'd be pretty happy with it. So he's certainly not, you know, certainly doesn't not have an upside. He is one injury away in that offense, like say Mike Evans going down to getting a big increase in volume and suddenly having another phenomenal fantasy season. Of course, I want to hear what you guys have to say on that. But again, Gronk here coming in at number seven could very well come in at number six or number five. There's a lot of competitive tight ends in this range. All right, here at number eight, we've got Robert Tanyan. Now, there's two things that really are considered here as to why we didn't rank him higher. And one is this is PPR scoring, and he's more of a touchdown guy, did not see a huge amount of volume. Uh, so again, very touchdown dependent. And two, we'll break down some of the numbers in a second. Not so sure he can keep those touchdown marks up this season. Maybe he will, but it feels a bit risky. And again, this PPR format is, is a big influence on that as well. But he did finish third in PPR scoring last season. Again, really just came down to the fact that he scored so many touchdowns. It didn't, didn't really matter. Ultimately, his insane 88% catch rate and 11 receiving touchdowns, it just doesn't feel repeatable. Um, and it's not just him. Even what Aaron Rodgers and his MVP season did last year doesn't quite feel repeatable. Uh, he had just a completely unsustainable 9% touchdown rate and threw 60% of his touchdowns to either Devontae Adams or Robert Tanyan. That's totally crazy. Uh, 60% of your TDs to d- just two guys of a very hard time imagining they're going to find the same offensive success if they don't spread the ball out more. Crazier is when you look at it, Devontae Adams had 149 targets last year. If he had the same touchdown percentage that Robert Tanyan had, Devontae Adams was on would have been finished with 27 touchdowns. Again, Robert Tanyan's touchdown percentage was just unrepeatable. He also averaged 9.9 yards per target. I just have a feeling there's got to be some sort of regression. Defenses are going to key on him a little bit more. Now, he has been practicing with Robert Kittle, or excuse me, with George Kittle, who is just pretty much a guru at the tight end at this position, if he could only stay healthy. Um, So I'm expecting a bit of a regression this year, but then the, the other thing coming into play is just the PPR. I just don't see him getting that many targets, and they go out and add Randall Cobb, and You've got, you know, um, the rookie wide receiver they just drafted and Allen Robinson and quite a bit of different weapons. I imagine they're going to spread the ball more out this season. That's just my prediction. Could I be wrong? Yes, but I think the entire fantasy football world and football world as a whole uh, agrees with me on that. I don't think it's much of a stretch. And statistically, I would be absolutely shook if they repeated those type of numbers. So we'll see how it goes. But, you know, when a guy wins MVP like Aaron Rodgers does, there's usually a bit of a regression. That just happens. Let's get on to our next guy. Here at number nine, starting off our tier three tight ends. Uh, You know what? We got to go with Kyle Pitts. Uh, A guy drafted this early at the tight end position is going to make a splash, having an absolutely monstrous combine where really this is the most hype I think we've ever seen a tight end get entering the NFL. He's drawing some huge comparisons to guys like Megatron. Uh, Reading some of his notes, talk about... Uh, people have talked about his blend of size, athleticism, and ball skills. Looks like Megatron. And and at just 20 years old, he is very young at a tight end position where there's going to be a lot of development needed. He will not peak from day one. We've seen that. The ability to 
play against a different variety of defenses, running deep routes and short routes against linebackers and being physical, but also trying to be fast against cornerbacks and safeties. It is an extremely difficult position to play because you know what? doesn't even include his ability to work in the running game and block against defensive linemen and linebackers. They have a very difficult role at the tight end positions. No, I do not expect him to come out and, you know, compete with Kelsey and Kittle and all those guys from week one. It's not going to happen. In a dynasty league, he's probably the second guy that I would take uh, behind Najee Harris, who I think is going to have a phenomenal season. I love taking running backs early, especially in dynasty keeper leagues. Um, But again, back to Kyle Pitts, huge upside here. He's got a veteran quarterback and they are rebuilding. They are going to use him a ton. I expect him to get more volume than most rookie tight ends. Rookie tight ends typically do not produce. However, you go back to Gronk's rookie season, he had 10 receiving touchdowns, so it is certainly possible. It's just not likely. I want to hear from you guys what you think about that Atlanta offense because certainly a very bad team as a whole, but they do produce fantasy numbers, and with the loss of Julio Jones, they will be looking to replace it. Kyle Pitts could very well be that guy. They did add some weapons for sure, but... Uh, out of the backfield but you know running back is not a true weapon in the passing game as far as you know you still need a solid number two guy so I do wonder you know could his target surpass 100 could they give him a ton of volume to try and hurry up and speed up that role furthermore he reminds me a lot of a guy like Evan Ingram or a guy like we talked about earlier Darren Waller who will likely split out a ton as a slot or as a wideout to create mismatches and take advantage of defensive Um, whatever they're going to be in, whatever uh, lineups they're going to be in. Excuse me. Struggling here. Anyways, um, I think they will do that. I think he'll take advantage of that. Um, And unlike Evan Ingram, he's actually a lot faster than Ingram is. He's a little bit bigger. They have talked about his struggle and his ability to block on the inside against some of those bigger guys, but that's okay. I don't care about his production in the blocking game. I care about his production in my fantasy lineup, and that I think he will get. He is too good for them not to play, even if he is not the blocker that they had hoped him to be. They'll just move him to the slot more often. They'll just move him as a wideout more often. They will just change his role. He is too early of a draft pick for him not to get volume. So it really is, again, we talk about tight ends not getting volume and needing time. Not as big of a concern when you invest this kind of capital in this sort of guy. They've invested enough of him that they almost can't afford for him to be a failure. Uh, That being said, we did bump him down to nine for a reason. It takes time and I fully expect him to be way better in the second half of the year than I do in the first half of the year so I'm not necessarily targeting him my drafts what I'd love to do is not draft him wait till someone's disappointed with his first couple of weeks and then maybe make a trade because I love to buy low and sell high as they always say but let's get to our number 10 guy And here at number 10, we've got Tyler Higbee, who is in a great situation. Not only does he get the quarterback upgrade, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, but he gets the upgrade in role in that offense. Josh Reynolds signed with Tennessee, and Seattle signed Gerald Everett. Now he does not have to split roles. He is the clear number three option in that offense. And again, those guys leaving leaves behind a vacated 143 targets. That is going to make a big difference for him to make a much bigger fantasy impact. And speaking of fantasy impact, go back to 2019. Week 12 to week 17, Gerald Everett was out um, in a couple of those games. And then in two of those games, he played just a total of four snaps. So really got to see what Tyler Higbee could do in those games and he was phenomenal he averaged 11 targets for 8.6 catches averaging over 100 yards per game and even grabbed two touchdowns 
um, having at least 85% snaps in each of those games. He had a hugely increased role, and I do expect that to happen this year throughout the entire season. He's going to have a massive increase in volume, and as we mentioned earlier, Stafford is a much better quarterback. We looked at what Goff did last year, and the offense struggled 22nd in points per game. And I mentioned this recently in a video, or I don't know which video it was, but Jared Goff was so bad last year. There was a game that his average pass traveled just 3.5 yards past the line of scrimmage. That was the lowest among any starter in any game. And yet still, Goff passed for 351 yards because the team as a whole had 253 yards after the catch, the second most yards after a catch a receiving team had had in any game last year. They seriously helped carry Goff in that offense into the playoffs with their their defense and their running game all together. You get an increase at quarterback, get an increased role. said this already, but man, you got to love both of those things and going to have a great combination together. The downside being there's still two guys ahead of him. Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are going to eat up targets, and so will Daryl Henderson, not necessarily targets, but have a big role on the ground game with their defense. They're not going to be playing behind a lot. They're not going to be taking risks, so I don't necessarily think there's going to be insane volume there, but it should be consistent, and I'm excited to see what this offense can do. Finally, the last thing being, it's an upgraded quarterback from Stafford. However, Goff did like to target his tight ends. I don't think that Stafford necessarily does as much throughout his whole career. Really, only one tight end had ever found success there with him. And that had to be when you look at um, TJ Hawkinson's last year. And even then, he had, you know, what, 700 yards. That was like four or 500 yards from the second guy. So, you know, it was a good year. It was a good year, but Stafford is not known as being a tight end heavy quarterback. So I wouldn't necessarily expect him to see quite the volume that maybe some people are excited for him to see, but he will certainly be uh, certainly be productive. And for me, it ultimately comes down to the touchdown production. Um, I don't think he's going to have huge touchdown numbers, but if I'm wrong and he starts to see, you know, up towards eight or even 10 touchdowns, then yeah, he is going to fly up these rankings if that's the case. Cause if he does, he is too low where we have him, but kind of predicting that he won't. So that's kind of why we put him where we put him. Hopefully that makes some sense. Here at number 11, we've got Noah Fant, who was kind of a magician last year. His quarterback play was so bad that, let's be honest, he was kind of making something out of nothing. His numbers were not great, but they were impressive considering the situation. He commanded 93 targets for a 19% target share percentage. That's pretty high for a tight end, and he produced when he did get the targets. He ended up with 62 catches for 673 yards and just three TDs. Again, the touchdowns were low. Um, hint, Talk about it in a second, but that's a quarterback issue. And ultimately, he showed off his athleticism. And, you know, when there's a bad quarterback there, you often have to ask yourselves and wonder and say, I don't know if this is bad quarterback play or also bad play from the player, right, from Noah Fant. But I think there's one stat that shows us that's not the case, and that is yards after catch. Noah Fant had 383 yards after the catch. Only two tight ends had more than him. That shows us that he was getting it done with or without good quarterback play, and unfortunately for him, it was without. Again, looking at the numbers, Locke completed just 57% of his passes. Now, that does jump to 62% when you look at a true quarterback completion percentage. That's what they get when you remove throwing uh, intentionally thrown away passes and spikes. However, there were 36 quarterbacks higher than him in true completion rate. Now, they did go out and sign Teddy Bridgewater, so here's the question, and I know you're thinking it. 
Will Bridgewater be an improvement? And if so, how much? I'll be honest with you guys. I want to be excited. I do. I want to say Teddy Bridgewater is the guy. He is going to improve this offense, and he certainly will improve this offense to some degree. However, I think you got to find it a little concerning, the sort of train that we're working on here, where the Panthers had him, and they just didn't feel good about him. They gave him one season, and they have already moved on to a guy in Sam Darnold from the Jets, who also had some pretty bad years there for the Jets. And so now... Uh, Teddy Bridgewater travels for his to his third team in three years. You just have got to wonder at this point, is he really an NFL starting quarterback that can do it for a team, be a playoff team and run an offense to, you know, that kind of caliber? He's certainly an upgrade from Drew Locke, but I don't think it will be much. And that's my concern. His touchdowns were low for uh, no offense, and I, I'm kind of afraid they're going to be low again this year unless the Broncos can seriously figure some things out. Again, this is PPR rankings, and 60 catches isn't bad, so maybe we should have him ranked higher, but this is where we put him for now because there are still major question marks about that offense, even if you do, like Bridgewater more than Locke. All right, here at number 12, we've got Irv Smith, bit of a sleeper pick, and I I do really like his upside. He scares me. He makes me nervous a bit, but there's a lot there to like. In fact, uh, Kyle Rudolph left this offseason for the New York Giants, and to me, it really seems like Irv Smith kind of ran him out of town. Last year in 12 games, Rudolph had just one touchdown. That is the worst he has ever had, and for the first time since 2015, Kyle Rudolph was seeing lower than 78% snap percentage Again, in 12 games, just one touchdown, but Irv Smith had five touchdowns over the year, and I really feel like he did simply outplay Kyle Rudolph and earn that position where the Vikings felt okay letting him go. Um, When you continue to look at it, he generated a pass rating of 139.7. That was the third, or excuse me, the fourth best among all tight ends. He didn't get a lot of volume. He really didn't, but he was very productive, and he proved himself down the final stretch. So Kyle Rudolph misses the final four games of the season, leaving Irv Smith as the unquestioned number one tight end in that offense. And during that stretch, he capitalized. He had 15 catches for 183 yards and three touchdowns, making him the tight end eight in PPR formats over those games. So he could very well finish this season as a top 10 fantasy tight end. The question is, were those four games a fluke or can he keep it up over an entire season? Now, with guys like Adam Thielen there and Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, no, he is not going to be the next Travis Kelsey at this point. He simply will not see the volume, but he's been unbelievably productive, and if he can keep his touchdowns up, he could very well be a standard league stud. There is a definite ceiling there, which is stinks, and there is a definite floor there as well, as we've not seen him do it for a whole season, and we've never seen him take over that number one role. So, yeah, that guy makes me nervous. He does. There's a there's a definite ceiling. There is a low floor. But there's a lot of potential there. There really is for him to surprise some people, to be a big touchdown guy. I can't wait to see what he does, and I'm hoping the Vikings will use him in a lot of creative ways. Certainly right now we're recording this, I'm wearing my Mike Evans jersey, but for a lot of you know that I'm a Vikings fan, and he's one of those guys that makes me excited along with Justin Jefferson just to see how they're going to use those weapons in this offense. And hey, you may not be a big fan of Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins is a fantasy machine over the last few years where he is producing fantasy numbers for all the guys around him. You may not believe this, but he threw 35 touchdowns last year. That was sixth amongst quarterbacks. So he was very productive at finding the end zone. And of course, uh, I don't need to state the obvious here, but I will anyways. 
that's good news for a tight end when you want fantasy numbers. So I'm excited. Again, let's see what this season brings for him and what kind of role he's going to have, but he will be the unquestioned number one tight end. So good for him. Hopefully he take it, takes advantage of that opportunity. Anyways, guys, this uh, that is our top 12 fantasy tight end rankings. I tried to keep it quick. Hopefully I didn't keep it too quick. So if you want more information and you want more breakdown, leave a comment down below and let's talk about it more. However, you know, after those first couple of guys at tight end, the talent certainly drops off and it turns into nothing but sort of players with potential. So I did want to keep this video somewhat short. I know if it drags on too long, a lot of you just click off. I get that. That happens. Anyways, Leave a comment down below. Let's talk some football and let's get ready because it is officially fantasy draft season. Am I right? Anyways, you guys have a great day and God bless.